And now I have the pleasure of introducing Leslie McKinney. She's one of the pastors at Pilgrim Church, which is just a church that's a good friend of ours, really, and has been very generous to us when we've needed space for things. And so we're just very excited to have you. Thank you, Leslie, for being here. And we'll give her the floor. Can you hear me with this? Yes. I'm thankful to Neil for inviting me here tonight, and it's, um, we all pray together, and we pray for your church, and at, at Pilgrim, we are just so grateful to know that you're up here, before I know you were down the street from us, but now that you're up here, 100 or 200 young people, mostly young people, and, and some older people my age, um, who love God. It's a beautiful thing. So we're just we're really grateful for your being here and for encouraging and reaching out to the community. And I remember Sarah DeBear Booth. Um, we've known each other for a long time. And uh, years ago, she had asked me if she could use Pilgrim because the, she knew a particular pastor who wanted to plant a church in Beverly. And so I thought that was really exciting. And um, so they were looking for a building and kind of looking at Pilgrim. And little did I know that Neil and I would become good friends and Kelsey and really be partnering and working in Beverly together and mutually sometimes using one another's uh, buildings and working together for outreach and praying together every month. And it's really a wonderful thing that the pastors and a lot of the prayer leaders and intercessors gather together, together every month um, to meet and to develop unity and to pray for the community. And I really do see changes happening in the compu- community. So I'm grateful to have the privilege to be here tonight. I did preach already this morning on a whole different topic in Psalm 19. But tonight, my understanding is, is that you've been preaching a series called Home Improvement. And uh, you've preached different topics, Neil has or others in the church, on um, singleness and finances, and uh, what else? Forgiveness and mercy. So tonight I'm going to talk about marriage, but I want to ask you first, um, how many of you are married? <laughs> okay, oh, good, good percentage. And so, um, and how many of you are single? So it's kind of like 50-50. Well, I just want you to know I can relate to both sides. Um, I was single until I was 28, I was married for almost 25 years, and now my husband passed away two years ago. So I know both sides, and now obviously I'm single again. So um, I understand you know, what it is to be single, what it is to be married for almost a quarter of a century, and now to be uh, alone again with the Lord. I'm married to Jesus, as many of you are. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about marriage. And... Um, I know that whether you're single or whether you're married, it, it's not easy, no matter how you, know, how you look at things, because life isn't easy. Difficult things happen, and we need to learn to be in Christ so that we can work through our relationships, we can develop ca- Christian character, and we can really be the mate that we need to be, especially in marriage. Um, what is marriage? What would be the definition of marriage according to the way God views marriage? When you enter, when you get married, you enter into a covenant with one another. And the covenant is with that other person and with God. It's sacred. It's something that you don't take lightly when you enter marriage. 
Marriage means that you're bound together, that you bind or unite together as husband and wife. Therefore, when two people marry, each of them is united together, forming a unity. A covenant is a promise. I'm sure many of you know a covenant is a promise that you make to God and to one another. According to a marriage expert, he defines marriage. He says that a marriage covenant is a promise that is more solemn, more binding, and more permanent than any other legal contract. And that same person says marriage is a relationship between man and woman intended by God to be monogamous, a monogamous relationship intended to be a permanent bond in which many needs are satisfied. The need for love and to be loved. The need for deep friendship, for sharing, for companionship, for sexual satisfaction, for children, and the need to escape loneliness. Marriage ought to be a bond of love, reflecting the love Christ has for his people. A bond of sacrificial love where husband and wife become one flesh. And you're all familiar with the passage in Mark that says, For this reason... A man shall leave his mother and his father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. What an amazing, holy, sacred bond God creates when two people come together. But how can you keep marriage holy? How can you keep the marriage intact the way God desires when... We know that life is difficult, and it's incredibly difficult when you bring two different people together. Why? Because you're bringing two people together from different family backgrounds, different family systems, totally different personalities. Um, Sometimes your family's functional. Sometimes it's not so functional. You each have unique gifts, um, different idiosyncrasies, strengths, and weaknesses. So it's not easy bringing two people together. And we know that the divorce rate is... You know, one out of two marriages fails, and unfortunately it's the same in the church today. So how can two people stay together? You know, when I think of the first marriage that um, I performed, it was my sister, actually, and um, my now brother-in-law. They were, they've been married about eight years. And um, I used to meet with them every single, maybe like every single month for about nine months just to talk about things and to talk about different issues and some of the things you're talking about with home improvement. And I finally asked one another, what do you really want from one another? What do you want, Kathleen, from Jim? And Jim, what do you want from, from Kathleen? And they both said the same thing. They, they both said that they wanted the other to love them unconditionally. They wanted to be loved without any conditions. Now, we know that that's not easy. Um, that love is one, when I think of love, I, I mean, when I think of marriage, I think of two things after having been married for a long time. I think of marriage as a sacred covenant and that my marriage is before God, more importantly than even my husband, it was. And I think of love because you can't really have a marriage unless there's love. So tonight, I want to talk about 1 Corinthians 13. I want to look at that passage with you. I don't know if you, all, if you have Bibles in your pews, it looks like. 1 Corinthians 13, I'm going to read 1 through 13. Um, and when I was doing my sister's wedding and her fiancé, um, you know, I said to them, you know, you, your priority is right, because there is no greater gift than to give one another than love. 
However, to live under those conditions, it's really humanly impossible without God, right? So how, what is a couple to do? The, the only way you can love one another unconditionally is to realize that you need God's love. You need to understand God's love for yourself because you can't give love unless you know love. So unless you're pursuing the things of God and daily being devoted to the things of God, you won't be able to love the way God calls you to love. So let's take a look at um, 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Let's see, I'm going to read 1 through 13. I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love. I, but do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions, and if I hand over my body so that I may boast, but don't have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we shall see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love. So we all know, or most of us know, that this is St. Paul, this is Paul, writing this. But this is not just any kind of love. This is, in Greek we know it's, it's agape love. It's a God kind of love. The highest love that exists. The highest love that you can give one another. So what is love? Well, Paul tells us in this passage, love is patient. The word means that love is long-suffering. It's not just patient when you're waiting, you know, you order like a cup of coffee or something, you know, it's just waiting around for a few minutes. It's long-suffering. It's willing to bear up or to endure patiently with another person. It is willing to hang in there for the long haul no matter what happens. It's committed to working things out instead of reacting hastily. I'm going to weave my story in here. I got married when I was 28, came from a highly dysfunctional family. I love my family very much. I always feel the need to say that. You know, I really do, and I want them to know Jesus more than anything. But it was very dysfunctional. Uh, There was alcoholism. There was gambling. There was um, abuse. There was verbal abuse. it was, it was not an easy upbringing. Um, so when I got married, without reali- realizing it, I brought those things into my relationship. And of course, I bonded with somebody who felt familiar. You know, it was, um, 
you can only understand if you, you and even sometimes you know when I was only 28 it's like I didn't really understand the full picture and understand but after I got married I was in a lot of pain because I hadn't thought through a lot of things and I wasn't a Christian and I cried out to God and um, I just said God you know if you're really real reveal yourself to me and so six months after I got married I came to Christ and um, my marriage was long suffering my husband came maybe 13 years later. He wasn't that interested in following Jesus. He did his own thing. Um, God called me to go to seminary a year after I came to the Lord, and I slowly worked my way through the program because I really couldn't see how God was going to answer this call in my life. I couldn't foresee even being a pastor because I thought, well, how is that going to work? My husband's not even a Christian. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. And I didn't go to seminary to become a pastor. In fact, I went to seminary to become a counselor. Um, So it was long-suffering. Um, and I understand long-suffering. And then at, just a few, several years after um, I got married, my husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. So long, you're, you're really hanging there for the long haul. I made a commitment to God, and I, I, I became an intercessor because, you know what, I could not live in a marriage like that that wasn't whole, that wasn't complete, that where I wasn't really getting my full needs met without knowing God and God's love. So the first thing I wanted to do when I got married was to love. But I had some really wise friends that said to me, you know what, you can't love unless you know love. You weren't nurtured the way you needed to be nurtured. You didn't understand that love. You didn't understand Christian love. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. And so she was very wise. So you know what, I felt like the Lord put on my heart to start praying Ephesians 3, 15 through 20, where... um, You know, you pray mostly that I would come to understand the breadth, the length, the depth, the height of God's love um, so that I could be filled to the fullness with the full presence of God, so that that God could love me, that I could be a channel of love to my husband so that he could come to Christ because I wanted more than anything for him to know the Lord, to have a more whole marriage. So love is long-suffering. If you're married, you've got to hang in there for the long haul. You might not have as much of a difficult situation as I had. Perhaps you do. Perhaps you've known that. Um, but hopefully I pray that you don't because it, it's hard. But, you know, no matter what you go through, God can give you what you need to love the other person. He can cause you to, be, to hang in there with the other one and to suffer long because you need the Holy Spirit. And marriage is sacred. It's a covenant with God. I was bound and determined not to get divorced because I knew what the divorce rate was and I was called to minister and the Lord spoke to me one day and said, your greatest good will come through your suffering. Even when I had people at the seminary and other people in my community say, it's okay for you to get divorced because you have some reasons for divorce, which you know, I won't go into. But I was bound and determined to stay faithful to that covenant because God blesses the covenant, but I wanted to love. So love is patient. But love is also kind. Love is kind. That means that you learn to behave gently and graciously toward one another. You speak a tender word, a gentle word. You don't speak harshly and you don't speak critically. 
You're always willing to help each other, especially when needed. Now, that, sometimes that's really difficult because you know what? You're not perfect. That's why you need God's love. That's why this is about God's love. This is who God is. God is love. God is kind. God is patient. You know, he knows what we need, and if we rely on the power of God, we can love the way God calls us to love. And God can answer prayers, too, as we're praying. We're praying for breakthroughs. We're praying to be able to love more effectively. We're praying to be able to endure. We're praying to be kind. You know, I remember one of the first books I picked up when I was a Christian was um, Love Without Limits, because my heart wanted to love. But I was wise enough to know in my 20s that I didn't know love. And when I got married, my husband and I got married on that wedding day, somebody handed me a Bible, and they read from 1 Corinthians 13. But you know what? It was like a prophecy that would come true, because I had no idea what that really meant. I mean, I thought I did, but I didn't. Love is patient and love is kind. Now we learn what love is, but now we learn what love is not. Love is not envious. It never boils over with jealousy, because when you know God's love, you can be secure in that love. And therefore, you're able to trust one another implicitly. You can be secure in, you, in, in God's love. But you know what? If, you have, if you're in a marriage and you've had difficult circumstances, and you've had reason to not trust your mate for whatever reason, whatever, sometimes life-shattering things can happen. You trust God because you're in a covenant with Almighty God, and God can give you what you need. To, you can trust the Lord, and then that person eventually has to prove themselves trustworthy. And it takes time, and you need to be patient, and you need to let God work in the relationship. Life isn't easy. Things happen sometimes, you know, but God is good. He wants us to have healthy marriages. He wants us to love one another. He wants us to sacrifice ourselves for the other person. Love isn't jealous, and you don't need to be jealous. You don't need to compete. You don't need to compare yourself because you know the living God, and he lives in you, and you can just let go. And you know what? When you love someone the way God calls you to love, when you love that other person and you seek to love that person, you are giving to them so that they're freed up to give to you back. You know, it's, just, it's a mutuality of loving one another. Love is never boastful. In other words, it doesn't brag or praise oneself. Rather, it praises and encourages the other person. When you're secure in God's love, when you pray to be able to really experience, not just in your head but in your heart, the love of God, you don't have to brag on yourself. You don't have to boast because, you know what, you know your identity is in Jesus Christ. And that's what matters. And if you don't know that, you grow because it's a process of knowing more and more every day that you are a child that is loved by God, that you can love the way God calls you to love, but it's a process. You have to be patient with yourself. You don't beat yourself over the head if you've failed, if you've had a bad day, if you had an argument, or if you've had hard things happen. Just one step at a time, one day at a time. The Lord loves you. And that's what you need. You need to grow in that amazing, unconditional love for you so that you're able to love the other person. So, and love is not arrogant or rude. It doesn't behave improperly or indecently. Love does not insist on its own way. It's open to the interests and the ideas of others. It's other-centered, not self-centered. 
You know, Paul was really wise thousands of years ago already. He knew the human plight. You know, we, we all know that we're so prone to self-absorption and self-centeredness, every single one of us. You know, it's hard to get outside of ourself. It's hard to deny yourself. It's hard to be whole in that place with God so that you can love another one perfectly. So that you don't have to think about how I'm going to get my needs met. If, if you know the love of God, you can meet the other person's need. Because, again, that frees them up to love you. It, it's freedom. There's no competition in marriage. There's just, there should be a, a give and take, a, a good flow of loving, loving one another, giving, taking, receiving in healthy ways. So love is not self-centered. Love is an irritable. This means it doesn't speak sharply or respond with exasperation. Instead, it's good-natured and easy to get along with. Well, we all know we have bad days. So again, we just we have to learn, you know, that this is what love is. This is a God kind of love. It's a divine love that loves through you. You can't it's humanly impossible to perfectly love another human being. But if you're open to the power of the Holy Spirit, if you're open to God working through you, if you're open to looking at your own sin and and being able to um just face reality and face the honesty of whatever is going on in your life, then you will be able to love the way God calls you to love one day at a time, one step at a time, or at least you'll see some growth in that area over a number of years. Love does not keep a record or an account of evil against the other. So you were talking, uh, home, your home improvement was talking about mercy and forgiveness. So it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, injustice, or wrongdoing. Love rejoices in the truth. You want the other person to be blessed in the relationship. Especially, this is love in general, you know, this passage. But in a marriage, it's like when you bless another person, when you rejoice in the truth, then you're blessed too because it's your family. It's your unit. Love bears all things. Love, um, it believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. Love never fails. We learn from the Bible that love is an action. Love isn't a feeling. Sometimes we often confuse it with feeling love or even just, you know, lust or sexuality. But love is action. It's the way we behave toward one another. Even if you don't feel like loving, you just act. Ask God to help you to act, and sometimes the feelings will flow. The Holy Spirit will move in you, and you will be able to just walk in love, do whatever loving action you need to, and and sometimes the feelings will follow if you're not in a good frame of mind that day or whatever, because we all know that we have bad days sometimes. So when you enter into a covenant of marriage, if you sincerely seek to love, your marriage will never fail because... God never fails, and love never fails. So you need to, it's important to just image or imagine marriage as an offering of your lives, most importantly, as a sacrifice to God. And then only will you be able to love, love another person. So you're human, and you'll never love perfectly like I shared. Learning to love is a process. It's a lifelong process. When you sin against one another, as you talked about forgiveness in some of your, uh, the sermons that Neil probably talked about, you need to ask God and you need to ask your spouse for forgiveness. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. 
You will be given the strength to continue to walk the way of love. So I encourage you to offer or continue to offer each other the gift of love. It's a gift. It's God's love. Is a, his love is a gift to us, and we offer that gift to love to somebody else in a marriage relationship. There are many gifts that you can give to one another, but there is no greater gift than love. So I can tell you in 25 years of marriage that I never loved perfectly, but I loved with God's love up until the end. And when my husband, um, two years, about a year and a half before he passed away, he had to go into a nursing home. He had Parkinson's, and then he had dementia. He was in an Alzheimer's ward. And... Um, about 11 days before my husband passed away, I went in to see him. I used to go every other day because some of the caregivers told me, don't go every single day because it's too exhausting. You need to do some self-care yourself. And um, the one, I prayed for one thing. I prayed that my husband would always know me. And if you have any concept whatsoever of Alzheimer's and memory loss, you'd know that it's almost impossible for somebody to know who you are. My husband didn't know where he was, but every time I would show up, he would say, oh, I'm so happy to see you. I'm so happy to be home now, because he knew that I represented home. And you know what? That was really special for me to hear about home, because, you know, I always wanted, in all those years that we had some trouble and difficulties and, you know, real hardship, I wanted my house to be a home. You know, I wanted it to be a home where two people loved one another, where two people cared for one another, where two people worshipped God together, where they brought up children and, you know, had a healthy, normal life together. And 11 days before my husband died, I walked into his room in the nursing home, and he said to me, and this, you can, this is really a miracle, because this is 11 days before my husband passed away. He'd been in a nursing home for a year and a half, and he said, I'm so happy to see your face. He couldn't barely talk anymore. I'm so happy that we love each other. I'm so happy to see you. These powerful final words that came from my husband and to, to my heart, who li- this person that lived with memory loss for a long time that was had Parkinson's disease since um, he was diagnosed in 2001, but I knew he had it before, but he wouldn't go to the doctors, so he had it in the 90s. So he had Parkinson's for many, many years. Um, This was music to my ears, and it summarized our life together of love. Not that we loved one another perfectly by any means, but that the longing of each of our hearts to love God's way was realized through God's love. So it was a powerful testimony of God through so many difficult circumstances I want to honor my husband today, but you know, not that I was ever perfect. And frankly, I was kicking and screaming through a lot of that marriage because I felt like it was a double whammy to live and grow up in a really difficult home life and then to have a difficult marriage. You know, I, I longed to have a healthy, whole marriage. But I was faithful to the covenant, and I cannot tell you how Almighty God has taken care of me since my husband has passed away, because, you know, the Lord has honored that covenant. And I, as I said, I was determined to live faithfully all the days of my life. And I knew that more than anything else, I didn't care about my, I cared more about 
honoring the Lord and honoring my spouse, and I cared about myself, because that, and that was only God working in me, because I needed so much healing along the way. And, you know, I did everything that I could to be well and healthy. I went to all kinds of support groups. I, was an inter- I became an intercessor because I knew the power of prayer. I had other people come and pray with me. Um, I had a stepdaughter. You know, there was so many dynamics in the situation and the relationship that it was really no, I don't think a lot of people ever thought it would last. But, you know, love lasts. Love endures forever because God endures and God's love endures forever. And love is the greatest gift we can love one another. We can, you know, we can give one another. And I actually am, ha- it's only been two years and four months since the 26th will be two years and four months and that my husband passed away. And I can actually say I wake up singing and happy every day because I know that my husband is whole. He's running. He's, you know, he's with his loved ones that have passed on before him. He's together with so many people. And, you know, and I'm so grateful that I kept that covenant. So I want to encourage you today, whether you're married you know, to stay true to that covenant, to work through your issues, to do whatever you need to do to change you. Because I always felt as an intercessor that when I was looking at all my husband's faults and all the life-shattering things that I went through with him, no matter what he did, no matter what he said, it was never about him. It was about me. Because the Lord was saying, I want you to change. I want you to be transformed by my power. You're the one I've called to minister to my people. You know, not that he didn't hold my husband responsible for some of these things that happened, but it was always about transformation in my soul, in my heart, because all along we're being prepared for eternity. Because what really matters? If you give yourself to Jesus Christ, that's what matters more than anything, that you're honoring your covenant. It's sacred before God. And if you're single... If you had struggled like I did with difficult issues in your background and your family life, there's any kind of abuse, or I encourage you, um, you don't want to live the way I live for 25 years, I can assure you. You know, I would encourage you to do some small group work. You know, get healthy counseling to work through some of your issues and to process your pain, to grieve your losses, to journal, to reflect, to pray through things. It's a process, though. You don't change overnight. It's a lifelong process. And um, be faithful above all, whether you're single, whether you're married. Be faithful to the Lord because God will bless you. I can assure you. I mean, I'll tell you, I was so worried after my husband passed away because I own a house. I have a two-family house. I have tenants. My bills are thousands of dollars every month, and I pastor a tiny little church. We minister a lot to the poor, and the budget there is very, very small. And I was thinking, how on earth am I ever going to be able to pay my bills? And I went down in my basement one day, and I am not kidding you. I hope the person that stole and broke into your office isn't here. No, I'm like kidding. Because our, our church was robbed three times, too. But I found gold in my basement. I found pure gold, and it was worth a lot. You know. And then I started looking through things, and I found a lot more. So it's like God takes care of the widow. You know, God is amazing, you know, and I just, no matter what, I know that God's going to take care of, he's going to take care of me and he honors that covenant. So I just want to encourage you today that God's the most important thing. If you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, you'll be able to love your spouse and your future spouse if you're not married. 
So I was thinking, um, I'd like to invite the worship team back up. And I'll close by praying. Lord, I just pray for this community, this this church family, for Neil and Kelsey and their marriage, that it would be such a wonderful, continue to be a model to so many people, um, that you would bless their marriage, that you would bless their children, that you would speak through them powerfully and use them to minister to especially so many of the young people here. And I pray, Lord, that everyone, whether single or married in this community, would really come to experience the breadth, the depth, the height of your unconditional love, that they would be filled to the fullness with a full measure of you, and that that would flow out of this church, that that would flow into the community, that others would be drawn to them because of their love and their tenderness and living out and acting this agape love they would be kind, that they would be patient, that they would just live according to your word. But most importantly, Lord, I pray that they would be faithful, that they would honor their lives and surrender their lives more fully to you, that you would have your full and complete way in their lives, that their gifts would flourish, that their ministries would flourish, that their marriages would flourish, that their singleness of heart would flourish because their heart would be devoted to you, that they would have singleness of heart and devotion to you above all else, and that you would bless that and honor that. And I just thank you for this privilege and this opportunity to minister out of my life, my suffering, my pain, my loss, my grief, but now my joy and of knowing you more deeply through all that I've lived through. I just pray a great blessing on this ministry and congregation at the harbor. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.